you have your Bibles, electronic devices, again, you can click to turn to Matthew chapter 5. And I started a brand new series last week on the Beatitudes and, and walking through the Beatitudes. And so every weekend, we're just going to take another Beatitude and, and walk through it. And that's where we are this weekend. And so if you're with us last weekend, then you, you know that this series come out of, comes out of a book that I read, Happiness is a Serious Problem. Uh, Dennis Prager is the one that wrote this book. It's not a Christian work. It's not a Christian book at all. But he had a, he had a burden. And he had desire uh, to help people understand about this issue of happiness. And so he noticed in America that it seemed like that even though a lot of people are well off and have easy lives, it doesn't seem like they're happy. And so as a result of that, he began to write this book in 1998, I think is when the book first came out. Then it was reprinted again in 2019. In 2019, it, it, it struck a nerve. And so it became an immediately New York Times bestseller. The New York Times is the one that labeled this as like a human repair man manual. And so, um, and so that's where this series comes out of because when I picked up the book, it was recommended to me by a friend. And so I started reading this book, and I'm like, well, you know what? Jesus has the answer to this. And Jesus has the original human repair manual, and that would be the Bible. But when you look at the Beatitudes, you realize that Beatitudes answers what Dennis Prager was asking and what he was trying to answer, even though when you read his book, he never, he never came up to an answer. So I think if you ask the average person in America on the streets and you just do a street survey of your own and you ask someone what, what, what do they want to get out of life, then normally they're going to tell you something like, well, I just want to be happy. I mean, I just want to find happiness, or I just want to be happy in, in life. And, and the problem is, is what Dennis Prager found, and a lot of people are finding, is a lot of people aren't finding happiness. And so you ask the average person, well, what is happy? And what, it, what does it mean to be happy? What does it mean to have contentment or fulfillment in life? And they'll tell you it depends on our situations or our circumstances or what we're walking through or seasons of life. And, and so this is really what birthed this book for Dennis Prager is happiness is a serious problem. And so what he found, he found in his research that a lot of people are just not, not truly happy, that a lot of people are waiting for something to happen in their life, whether it's a job, whether it's a career, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a different season of life, to all of a sudden make them immediately happy. And he says it may come at a time, but it, it, it doesn't come lasting. And here's the interesting thing out of his book. What he found is he found because of human nature, it's impossible it's impossible, you just have to listen to this, it's impossible because of human nature and flesh for humans to be ever completely satisfied. And he says, advertisers understand this, right? And advertisers dw dwell into that or drill into that to sell you products. In other words, if you're not completely satisfied with your income, give us a call. If you're not completely satisfied with your car, give us a call. If you're not completely satisfied with your tires, give us a call. If you're not completely satisfied with your spouse, give us a call. If you're not completely satisfied with a career or, or, or something, give us a call. If you're not completely satisfied with your toothpaste, then just give us a call. And so, but what Dennis Prager found, because of the, the flesh, because of human nature, because of our expectations, that it's hard for people, humans, to ever be completely satisfied. And, and he goes on and he says, the reason is, is human nature. It can't completely, um, it can't be completely satisfied and that is why no single obstacle to happiness is greater than your flesh or the human nature. Whatever our nature desires, love, sex, money, attention, pleasure, food, security, cannot be supplied in sufficient qualities to satisfy it completely. And so Dennis Prager asked the question, can we as humans ever be satisfied? 
In other words, he would say complete satisfaction is not available to people because of our mind, because of our expectations, because of our flesh, our human nature, and it works against, it works against happiness. And Jesus would say this. Jesus said over and over and over in the Beatitudes and all of Jesus' teaching that you and I can never be completely satisfied in life without a relationship with him without a living, breathing relationship to where we come to the place and find that our sufficiency is in him, that he meets our needs. That, you know, the, the scripture I'm always reminded of, of the psalm that says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice in what? Let us rejoice and be, be happy, be happy in it. The, the scripture didn't say this, this, is, this is the perfect day, this is the greatest day. It just simply said, this is the day the Lord has made. As a result of that, let us learn to be happy and let us rejoice in it. See, Dennis Prager would say, and the same is true in the scriptures as well, that happiness takes work. Unhappiness takes like no effort at all. But happiness takes gratitude and happiness takes this issue of understanding that we're completely satisfied in him. And so just a little bit of, 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 of maybe some... Um, just, just bringing us all up to date, that word blessed, he starts off every beatitude with blessed, which means fulfillment, uh, contentment, and it means happiness that not dependent upon a situation. And so when you look at this, you, you realize that, that Jesus begins answering this question that this book was asking, happiness is a serious problem. And it's this joy that is provided and this happiness that is only provided by God. And so bless conveys an idea of constant contentment. Jesus told the disciples before the crucifixion and before Jesus was going to go away in John 16, 22, he said, so also, so you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will take away your joy from you. In other words, Jesus says that he can offer us a joy that the world cannot take away. And he can offer us a joy that situations and circumstances cannot take away. And it takes us to Matthew chapter 3, this beatitude that we're going to look at this week. And the title of, of, and the title of this message is, is Happiness Through Personal Bankruptcy. Happiness Through Personal Bankruptcy. And I've told you over the last five or six years, God has seen fit for whatever reason to take me through all these different seasons of life. And I have had to try to find contentment in the midst of some hurt and some pain and some difficulty. And I, in some results, in, in some, some ways, have had to live out the beatitudes these last five or six years. And so when I talk to you about this, this is not in theory. This is, this is theory, theology, but then it's also practical to me because I have had to live this out in sometimes in some difficult situations and difficult circumstances. And so, so Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, here's the beatitude that we're going to look at this week. And, and here's, here's, here, here's what it says in the CSB. In the CSB, just like the ESV and the New King James and the King James Version, New American Standard, the New Living Translation, when they translated, Jesus said this in Aramaic, and so, which was a very specific language, and they, they added a word R, and we're going to understand that. But here's what it says in the English translation, and we, we need to understand why they added that and then what Jesus was saying. And he, so here's the beatitude. It said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. 
So the word are, Jesus didn't say blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus spoke in a very specific language, Aramaic. And so if you look at the Aramaic language and you translate it word for word, it said blessed is the poor in spirit. And so, but that's not good English, right? So that's not good English. So the, so the translators added the word are. But the problem with that, the word are seems to me to communicate something that's going to happen in the future. And Jesus said, blessed is the poor in spirit. When you look at that, that's in the present tense. That's in the present tense. That's not looking for something to happen. That's not looking for something to take place in your life. Jesus spoke it in in the present tense. And it actually comes from a common Hebrew phrase that, that a lot of the Jewish rabbis would use of, of, of their day that would say, oh, the blessedness of the poor in spirit. And so Jesus was promising blessing through the circumstances that you're in now. And happiness or fulfillment or contentment in the situation, the circumstances that you're in now. These beatitudes were a statement of congratulations. They were, they were a statement of, of, of what you could become, of who you could be, regardless of the situation and regardless of the circumstances in your life. And so he's saying congratulations to you, good news to you, blessings to you, that, that now you are like this. And so this isn't a promise, just so we understand each other, this isn't a promise of something in the future. This is a promise that I can have, and this is a promise that you can have today. And so Jesus taught what it meant to be poor in spirit. And, and there is blessed are, 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 are those who acknowledge that they are spiritually desperate in need of God's forgiveness. Poor in spirit, blessed in the poor in spirit is the man or the woman that realizes that they are totally and completely helpless and totally and completely dependent upon God. I don't know if anything has ever happened to you in your life that was so much bigger than you, so much more difficult to where you couldn't figure your way out, you couldn't reason your way out. This beatitude is for that person that understands that, guess what, I am totally and completely helpless. I am totally dependent upon God for his wisdom, for him doing something in my life. When you look at this, you, you, I, I think of this, this Psalm, Psalm 34, 8. It says again, and I read it last week, and I'm going to read it again. It just simply says, taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the man and how happy is the woman that takes refuge in him. See, a person that is poor in spirit understands that, guess what, my refuge is in him. My refuge is not in my job, and it's not in my intellect, and it's not in a bank account, and it's not in a retirement account, and it's not in my ability to know how to work things out and make good decisions and in my situations or my circumstances in life. See, what Jesus is trying to help us understand, what the psalmist was trying to help us to understand is just taste and see that the Lord is good. Just taste and see, experience him, and understand that he is good. And then how happy is the man and how happy is the woman that understands that, guess what, he is their refuge. He is their refuge, Psalm 57, right? We looked at that before we launched this series. When David was talking, he was in the cave, and he was hiding from Saul. And, he, and, and God protected him in the cave, and David never said that, guess what? My refuge is my circumstance. My refuge is the cave. The cave is the one that protected me from, from, from Saul. David understood and says, guess what? You know who my refuge is? My refuge is God. My refuge is him. 
And so when Jesus talks about this being poor in spirit, he's talking about the man, he's talking about the woman that comes to the place in their life. And listen, it takes, it takes maturity and sometimes it takes years in the Christian life to finally come to the place and say, you know what, I've lived enough life, I've had enough experiences that were larger than me, and I understand, I get it, my refuge is in God and in God alone. To be pure, pure, poor in spirit simply means to depend on God and not myself. To trust God and not myself. To be poor in spirit means that I depend on God instead of myself. And that I am, I am inadequate to handle some of the situations in life that I may face. And that if I want God to bless my relationships, my marriage, my career... Uh, my finances, all of those things, and I'm going to have to come to the place and understand God is my refuge and that I can, I can, de I can depend on him. And so it brings me to, to just a, a group of verses out of Psalm, I'm sorry, out of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 12 that I'm just going to use because I've told you over and over and over the greatest commentary of Scripture is Scripture itself. And I think Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 12 helps us to understand what does it mean, what is the answer, what does it mean to be poor in spirit, the three things that I have to do or the three things that you have to do that reminds us that God is our refuge, God is our, our protector, God is the one that takes care of us. And, and I believe it's in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 12. And, and so here's what the scripture says, and I'll, I'll give you three things that hopefully you can apply to your life and to your situation. Verse 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. <coughs> in all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So now he's talking about joy, and he's talking about peace. Verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all, you pro, uh, of all of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So tonight I want to give you just three things. Three things that hopefully you can apply to your life that I have been working through and trying to apply to my life as well, uh, walking through this season. So the first one is this, is you have to make three statements, and the first statement is this, I trust him. When you walk through situations, when you walk through difficulty, you, you have to settle it for yourself. Are you going to trust in yourself? Are you going to trust in your circumstances? Are you going to trust in someone else? Or are you going to trust in him? In other words, who are you going to trust? And so to be poor in spirit would simply say, you know what? I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust God walking through this situation of my life. Uh, Proverbs 14, 12 says this. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. In other words, what the writer of Proverbs is simply saying that there is a way that seems right to every person. And there is a way that seems right to us. And there is a way that seems right to people. But in the end, it can be a dead end. In the end, it can lead to death. In the end, it can lead to not really good results. Have you ever in your life had this feeling and, and, and you felt it was right and you felt it was a good idea at the time and then you made the decision and it turned out to be a failure. It turned out to be a bad decision. There's, that's what this verse is all about. There's a way that seems right to us 
But in the end, it's a dead end. In the end, it's a failure. In the end, it's not such a good idea. And so probably every one of us in this room could give testimony of that, right? That we've all go through seasons of life to where, where all of a sudden we thought this was a great idea and this is an answer to the solution. And this seems, this seems right to me and seems right in the circumstances that I'm walking through. And then all of a sudden we made that decision and it either ended in disaster, it ended in a dead end, or it ended in struggle or something like that. And, and so we've all had those decisions, right? Whether it's been in relationships, whether it's been in friendships, whether it's been uh, decisions that we've made in careers or decisions that we've made in life. And so many of us in this room could probably give some painful examples to when we made this decision, it seemed right to us, it seemed right to the world, it seemed right in the situation, but it ended in, it ended in disaster, or it ended in a dead end, or it ended in failure because uh, your feelings, your feelings, what Proverbs is saying, your feelings will, will, will lie to you. I mean, your feelings, you, you cannot trust your feelings. Your feelings are an indicator, right? And I get that and I understand that. Uh, we should acknowledge our feelings. We shouldn't deny our feelings. But our feelings are an indicator of what's going on in our heart or what's going on in our life, whether we're sad, whether we're angry, whether we're hurt, whether we're disappointed, some of those other things. But we should never be led by our feelings. Whenever we're led by our feelings, that's what Proverbs is saying, there's a way that feels right to every person. But in the end, it, le- leads to, it leads to a dead end. It leads to danger. I don't, I don't know why it is, and maybe it's because I'm from Texas, but like once a year, I have a desire to listen to country and western music. I don't know why that is. I don't know if I deal with seasonal depression or something like that. And listen, if you like country and western, that, that is not a slam on country and western. I'm just telling you, I'm a classic rock guy. I like classic rock. And, and so but about once a year, especially when I'm driving back to Texas or something, I get a desire to start listening to country and western music again. And so it usually lasts about two weeks, and I get depressed and want to sell the dog and some other things, and so I quit. But I think it was a Trisha uh, Yearwood song that I heard like my last season of country and western music. And it says, uh, how could it be so wrong if it feels so right? Really? A lot of things can be so wrong even though they feel so right, right? We all know that, right? That's what Proverbs is talking about. And so a person that understands this and a person that is poor in spirit understands that, guess what? I can't be led by my feelings, and I can't trust my feelings, but, 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 but I trust the Lord, and the Lord is going to lead me. That's why he said in Proverbs 3, 5, he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In other words, we don't depend on our wisdom. We depend on his wisdom. We don't depend on our feelings, and we don't let our feelings lead us. We, we depend on him. We trust in him. Don't depend on what you think is right. Don't depend on your feelings. Don't depend on what the world says. The world, listen, society and the world will lead you astray every time. And don't depend even on your own understanding. Proverbs, I'm sorry, James 1.5 says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without approach, and it will be given to him. To where you understand that understand wisdom only comes from that's why and I know I harp on this um, that's why reading of scripture is just so important 
That's why, we, that's why we life journal here at Fellowship of the Rockies, and that's just a systematic way of reading through the entire Bible in a year. You read the Old Testament once, the New Testament twice. Uh, it's, it's just a reading, reading plan. You can get it on version. You can get it from us at the information desk. And so I've been doing it for like eight years now, just reading through the entire Bible over the course of a year. And you take and you, you pick your scripture of your daily reading. You make an observation about it, which is just really quick, and you just make an observation. And then the most important part is the application in the prayer is to now you take that verse and how are you going to apply that verse to your life? Because you can know it. Listen, you can know a lot of scripture and you can know a lot of theology, but if you never come to the place and apply, and apply it to your life or apply it to your marriage or apply it to your relationships or apply it to your job or your situation, then it, then it, doesn't, it doesn't help you. I mean, Jesus is the one that said this, is blessed is the man that hears the word and does the word. The blessing is on the doing. The blessing is on the applying. And so that's why we life journal here, and that's why I, I life journal, and I fill out my journal every morning. Uh, Karen and I have this, this thing that we say, first word, last word, and so especially over the last five years, we've started living our life by first word, last word. And what that means is I want God's, to, God's word, I want God's voice to be the first word in the morning and the last word I hear at night. And so the first word in the morning, and by the way, Denzel Washington, I, I don't know if you saw the interview, but it was, uh, it was like, it was about uh, two or three months ago, Denzel Washington's dad was a pastor, and so they were interviewing Denzel Washington, and they were asking him about being a, past, a, a PK, a pastor's kid, and, and how is he living that out in, now, and how does he live that out in Hollywood and the movies he makes and things like that. And it was amazing. Denzel Washington talked about, he didn't talk about first word, last word, but he did say, he says, in the mornings, I want, I want to hear God's word first. And so he says, so here's what I do. He says, in the, in the evening... He says, I always read scripture before I go to bed. And then I get out of bed, I take the Bible, and I shove the Bible as far under my bed as I can. And then when I get up in the morning, you know what it does? It forces me on my knees. And it forces me on my knees to get my Bible out, and I read my Bible on my knees and start out every morning in prayer. And so this issue of first word, last word is really important. It's important to Karen and I. It's been important to others. Uh, we read first word in the morning, so uh, she has a, a Bible plan that she uses, I, I Life Journal. And then in the evening, we do Lectio Divina together. It's just, a, it's just a simple app. It reads it out loud. There's prayers, and then it reminds you to look back over the day. Where did you see the goodness of the Lord? Where did you see him working? What did you see him doing? And so I've told you that this, I'm telling you, when you look at Scripture and you look at things, gratitude, gratitude is the most important thing. When Dennis Prager looked at what made happy people and unhappy people, it was people that could be grateful in any and every circumstance. That they could find the goodness of the Lord. Listen, I know this is for free. and uh, I, I was thinking about it when they were leading us in, in, in worship. You know, that, you know that song, King of My Heart? And you know when you come, I think it's called a chorus. I'm not a very music person. I'm a preacher, not a, not a music person. And you know when it comes, I think it's the chorus, you know, when we sing that line that says, you're never going to let me down, you're never going to let me down. Can I tell you, when that first song first, first came, came out, we were going through a dark time in, in our life. And um, I'm real with my relationship with the Lord, and I'm real with the Lord. 
And I'm on the front row, and I am singing to that song, you're never going to let me down, you're never going to let me down. And I had this thought. I just told the Lord right there on the front row before I was going to preach. I said, Lord, I think you've let me down. I think you've let me down. Have you ever had a situation like that? You don't have to answer out loud. And it took me a week to process through that. And the Lord helped me to understand, Charlie, I didn't let you down. I let your expectations down. There's a difference. I expected him to answer this prayer. I expected him to take care of this situation. And when you realize that, guess what, sometimes, and see what Dennis Prager and others would say, sometimes why people aren't happy is because they have unrealistic expectations of others, of God, circumstances and situations in, in their life. Isaiah 45.3 simply says this, says, I will give you the treasures of darkness and riches from secret places so that you may know that I am the Lord and the God of Israel who calls you by name. In some of the darkest times of my life, God has given me secrets in the darkest place. And he's ingrained some things in, in my life. Psalm 84.5 simply says this, How happy, happy are the people whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a source of spring water. Even the autumn rain will cover it with blessing. And they go, wouldn't you like to be this? They go from strength to strength. Each appears before God in Zion. When you study the Valley of Baca, you realize the Valley of Baca was just one of the driest places of Israel. It wasn't known for water at all. And so what this is talking about, that even when you go through the dry places of life, God would rain down blessing pools of water so that you and I are able to go from spring to spring or strength to strength. The second thing is this, is not only do you, you have to say, I trust him, but you have to acknowledge him. You have to come to the place to where you acknowledge him in the situations and you acknowledge him that he's working in your life. Verse 6 of Proverbs chapter 3, it says, In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. And so the way that you acknowledge him, in some translations, instead of acknowledge him, say know him, that I got to know him in every season. I got to know him in every circumstance of my life. But this translation, the CSB says, I, I'm going to acknowledge him, and that I'm going to acknowledge that he's God, and I'm going to acknowledge that he's leading me, and I'm going to acknowledge that I can, I can trust him. And you find ways to acknowledge him. We find ways to where you say, God, I'm going to acknowledge you, and I want, I want your priorities in my life. I want your will in my life. I'm telling you, in the Lord's Prayer, there's a lot of lines in the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer to pray, there's a lot of lines, I think, that are hard to pray. But one of the most difficult lines to pray is when you and I pray, Father, not, your, not, not my will, but your will. That's what it means to acknowledge him. That's what Jesus was talking in the Lord's Prayer. That's what it means to acknowledge him. God, you are God and I am not. God, I am asking you, I am telling you, I am telling you, not my will, but your will. That's the hardest prayer for me to pray, especially into some dif difficult situations. God, you know this is what I want you to do. 
And God, you know this is how I want you to answer this prayer. But God, at the end of the day, I'm going to tell you, it is not, it, not my will, but your will. That I acknowledge that you're a God. I acknowledge that you're in, in control. I acknowledge that you're in control of the situation. And when you look at this, you realize that sometimes it's in that waiting that God, is, that God does something, right? None of us like to wait, right? And a lot of times when we're praying through that and we're working through that, we sometimes have to wait for an answer. But here's what I'm learning, that even when we're waiting, God is working, right? Have you ever noticed that? That even when you're waiting for God to answer a prayer, you're waiting for God to take care of a situation, God hasn't stopped working in the midst of our waiting. And the older, the older I get, the more I understand how, how important timing is an important area of life, right? The timing of an answer, just timing in life. I mean, I mean, when you look at this issue of, of timing, timing is the difference between like a professional pitcher and an, and an amateur pitcher, right? Uh, timing is the difference between a professional golfer and, and an amateur golfer, right? Timing is even the difference in like a professional cook, right? I mean, a professional cook knows that you put, a, you put Pop-Tarts in the toaster for 32 seconds and they come out perfect. I mean, that's what a professional chef knows. It's all in this issue of timing. And when you look at this, you realize that God, listen, God is never in a hurry. God is never in a hurry. And sometimes it's in those times of waiting that God is doing something. I, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like this. But sometimes I, I don't like to wait, right? I, I don't like to wait. I miss, I mean, this is maybe too much information, but I miss old school drive-through, like, fast food places, right? I, I like a place to where you're basically, you order at a, at a deal, you pull around, and as you're shoving your credit card in, right, food's coming out on the other side. I don't, like the, I don't like where you have to wait to pay, and then you have to wait to get your food. Don't make me wait three times, right? I just, I just want my food. I don't, I don't like to wait. And I'm the same way with God, and maybe you're the same way with God as well. I want to give him my prayer, like shove my prayer request across into the window, and guess what? He shoves the answer right back on the other side. I want it immediate, right? Am I the only one? Okay, so I'm not the only one. We're all like that, right? And here's what I'm learning. When you pour in spirit, I'm totally dependent on you, God. I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to acknowledge you. And I'm going to acknowledge not only that it is not my will, that it's your will. Jesus did that at the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Jesus came to the place at the Garden of Gethsemane, the famous prayer before he went to the cross, and said, Father, if there's any way this cup can pass before me, let it pass. But at the end of the day, not my will, your will. The same is true with us. We, we acknowledge that I trust him. And then we acknowledge him that he's working in the situation and he's working in, in our life. And in those moments, it is in those moments when you and I can come to the place and say, God, I trust you and I acknowledge you. And God, even if the answer to the prayer comes back in a way that that I don't want it to. I'm still going to trust you and I'm still going to acknowledge you. Because at the end of the day, you're good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the man, how happy is the woman that takes refuge in him, Proverbs 3.24 says. And you can go to bed without fear. 
and you will lie down and sleep soundly. That if you can come to the place and say, God, I trust you and I acknowledge you, that you're sovereign, that you're in control, that you are my refuge, and that I can trust you. The third and the last thing is this statement you make. You just say, you know what, I, I will honor him. I will trust him, I will acknowledge him, and I will honor him. And Proverbs ties into this issue of trusting him and acknowledging him, of trusting him with your wealth and trusting him with your finances. And in verse 9 he says, And honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, and then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. And for our own safety and for our own security, we depend on God for our income, for our provisions, for our wealth. And one of the ways that we do that to show that I trust him, I acknowledge him, is how we honor him through our giving. And say, God, I want, I want you to partner with me in my finances, and I want you to take care of me. Uh, Proverbs, uh, Philippians 4.19 says, and my God <coughs> will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And scripture says that God desires to take care of you, that he is, he is our refuge, he is our protector. And because of that, we can trust him. And we can trust him with our life, we can trust him with our priorities, and we can trust him with our finances. And he says when we do that, that he will, he will bless us. It's interesting to me. Dennis Prager ended up his, his book and said, you know what, I, I believe that as humans, we have a moral obligation to be happy. Because he says when you look at it, happy people make better husbands, better wives, better friends, better co-workers, better people. Because there's something about a person that's just happy. There's something about a person that has gratitude. There's something about a person that is just grateful for the situations or the circumstances they're walking through. And he says, honestly, it's easier to be friends with a happy person rather than when someone's always looking at the negative or what's wrong or any of that. And then Dennis Prager went on and says, you know, it's shocking to me. When I studied the lives of believers, Christians, I didn't find them to be any more happier than someone without Christ. And he said, honestly, that caught me off guard. Just caught me off guard. He said, either, either I can evaluate being a Christian doesn't make anyone happy or it's bad representation of the Christian life. And then he just spoke a word and says, I would encourage believers to find happiness in Christ so it's attractional. I think Jesus would say the same thing. I've come to give you life. And to give you life, that life more abundantly. I've came to give you joy that the world cannot take away. And Jesus said, blessed 
is the man or the woman who is poor in spirit that is totally dependent upon him because out of that comes joy and out of that comes happiness. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?